It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. The super telescopes are coming. Enormous ground and space-based observatories that'll let us directly observe the atmospheres of distant worlds. We know there's life on Earth, and our atmosphere tells the tale. So can we do the same thing with extrasolar planets? Turns out, coming up with a single biosignature, a chemical in the atmosphere that tells you that yes, absolutely, there's life on that world, is really tough. I've got to admit, I've been pretty bad for this in the past. In old episodes of Astronomy Cast and the Weekly Space Hangout, even here in the Guide to Space, I've said that if we could just sample the atmosphere of a distant world, we could say with conviction if there's life there. Just detect ozone in the atmosphere, or methane, or even pollution, and you could say, yeah, there's life there. Well, future Fraser is here to correct past Fraser, and while I admire his naive enthusiasm for the search for aliens, turns out, as always, things are going to be more difficult than we previously thought. Astrobiologists are actually struggling to figure out a single smoking gun biosignature that could be used to say there's life out there. And that's because natural processes seem to have clever ways of fooling us. So what are some potential biosignatures? Why are they problematic? And what will it take to get that confirmation? Let's start with the world close to home, Mars. And for almost two decades, astronomers have detected large clouds of methane in the atmosphere of Mars. Here on Earth, methane comes from living creatures like bacteria and farting cows. Furthermore, methane is easily broken down by sunlight, which means that this isn't ancient methane left over from billions of years ago. Some process on Mars is constantly replenishing it. But what? Well, in addition to life, methane can form naturally through volcanism, when rocks interact with heated water. And NASA tried to get to the bottom of this question with the Spirit and Opportunity rovers, and it was expected that Curiosity would have the tools on board to find the source of the methane. And over the course of several months, Curiosity did detect a boost of methane down on the surface. But even that has led to a controversy. It turns out the rover itself was carrying methane and could have contaminated the area around itself. Perhaps the methane it detected came from itself. And it's possible that a meteorite fell nearby and contaminated the results. The European Space Agency's ExoMars mission arrived at Mars in October 2016. And although the Schiaparelli lander was destroyed, the Trace Gas Orbiter survived the journey and began mapping the atmosphere of Mars in great detail, searching for places that could be venting methane, and so far, we don't have any conclusive results. In other words, we've got a fleet of orbiters and landers at Mars equipped with instruments designed to sniff out the faintest whiff of methane on Mars. There's going to be some really intriguing hints about how the methane levels on Mars seem to rise and fall with the seasons, indicating life, but still, astrobiologists don't agree. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and all that. So if we can't figure out if there's methane on Mars that's produced by life, 
how are we going to be able to figure out if it's coming from other planets orbiting other stars? Now, astronomers already measure the atmospheres of planets orbiting other stars. For the last decade, NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope has been mapping out the atmospheres of various worlds. For example, here's a map of the hot Jupiter HD 189733b. And the place sucks, but wow, to measure the atmosphere of another planet, that is pretty spectacular. They performed this feat by measuring the chemicals of the star while the planet is in passing in front of it, and then measured again when there's no planet. And that tells you what chemicals the planet is bringing to the party. They were also able to measure the atmosphere of HATP 26b, which is a relatively small Neptune-sized world orbiting a nearby star. And they were surprised to find water vapor in the atmosphere of the planet. So does that mean there's life? Wherever we find water on Earth, we find life. But nope, you can totally get water without having life. When it launches in 2019, NASA's James Webb Space Telescope is going to take this atmospheric sensing to the next level, allowing astronomers to study the atmospheres of many more worlds with a much higher resolution. One of the first targets for Webb will be the TRAPPIST-1 system, with its half-dozen planets orbiting in the habitable zone of a red dwarf star. Webb should be able to detect ozone, methane, and other potential biosignatures for life. So it turns out, Finding biosignatures on another world is going to be tough. We'll get to that in a second, but first I'd like to thank Jay Theory, Rob Stewart, Travis B. Valens, and the rest of our 783 patrons for their generous support. If you love what we're doing, you want to get in on the action, head over to patreon.com slash universe today. So what will it take to be able to view a distant world and know for sure there's life there? Astrobiologist John Lee Grenfell from the German Aerospace Center recently created a report going through all the exoplanetary biosignatures that could be out there and reviewed them for how likely they were to be an indication of life on another world. The first target will be molecular oxygen, or O2. You're breathing it right now. Well, 21% of every breath anyway. Oxygen will last in the atmosphere of another world for thousands of years without a source. It's produced here on Earth by photosynthesis. But if a world is being battered by its star and losing its atmosphere, then the hydrogen is blown off into space and molecular oxygen can remain. In other words, you can't be certain either way. How about ozone, aka O3? O2 is converted into O3 through a chemical process in the atmosphere. It sounds like a good candidate, but the problem is that there are natural processes that can produce ozone too. There's an ozone layer on Venus, one on Mars, and they've even been detected around icy moons in the solar system. There's nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas. It's produced as an output by bacteria in the soil and helps contribute to the Earth's nitrogen cycle. And there's good news. Earth seems to be the only world in the solar system that has nitrous oxide in its atmosphere. But scientists have also developed models for how this chemical could have been generated in the Earth's early history when its sulfur-rich ocean interacted with the nitrogen on the planet. In fact, both Venus and Mars could have gone through a similar cycle. In other words, you might be seeing life, or you just might be seeing a young planet. Then there's methane, the chemical we spent so much time talking about. And as I mentioned, there's methane produced by life here on Earth, but it's also on Mars, and there are liquid oceans of methane on Titan. Astrobiologists have suggested other hydrocarbons like ethane, isoprene, but these have their problems too. What about the pollutants emitted by advanced civilizations? 
astrobiologists call these techno-signatures, and they could indicate things like chlorofluorocarbons or nuclear fallout. But again, these chemicals would be really hard to detect light years away. Astronomers have suggested that we should just search for dead Earths to set the baseline. These would be worlds located in the habitable zone, but clearly life never got going. Just rock, water, and a non-biologically created atmosphere. The problem is that we probably can't even figure out a way to confirm that a world is dead either. The kinds of chemicals you'd expect to see in the atmosphere, like carbon dioxide, could be absorbed by oceans, so you can't even make a negative confirmation. One method might not even involve scanning atmospheres at all. The vegetation here on Earth reflects back a very specific wavelength of light in the 700 to 750 nanometer range. And astrobiologists call this the red edge because you'll see a five times increase in reflectivity compared to other surfaces. Although we don't have the telescopes to do this today, there's some really clever ideas like looking at how the light from a planet reflects onto a nearby moon and then analyze that searching for exoplanet Earthshine. In fact, back in the Earth's early history, it would have looked more purple because of the Archaean bacteria. So go look for that. With a whole fleet of spacecraft and ground observatories coming online that help us push further into this question. ESA's Gaia mission is going to map and characterize 1% of the stars in the Milky Way, telling us what kinds of stars are out there, as well as detect thousands of planets for further observation. The Transiting Exoplanet Space Survey, or TESS, launches in 2018, and will find all the transiting Earth-sized and larger exoplanets in our neighborhood. The Plato 2 mission will find rocky worlds in the habitable zone, and James Webb will be able to study their atmospheres. And we also talked about the massive Louvoir telescope that could come online in the 2030s and take these observations to the next level. And there are many more space and ground-based observatories in the works. As this next round of telescopes comes online, the ones capable of finding an Earth-sized world orbiting another star, astrobiologists are going to be struggling to find a biosignature that provides a clear sign that there's life there. Instead of certainty, it looks like we're going to have the same struggle to make sense of what we're seeing. Astronomers will be disagreeing with each other, developing new techniques and new instruments to answer unsolved questions. It's going to take a while. And the uncertainty is going to be tough to handle. But remember, this is probably the most important scientific question that anyone can ask. Are we alone in the universe? The answer is worth waiting for. Thank you so much. Bye. Across 10 years and more than 12 million downloads, we've brought you day after day of content. Thank you for making this possible. Now we've added a new way to donate to 365 Days of Astronomy to support editing, hosting, and production costs. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and donate as much as you can. Share the podcast with your friends and send the Patreon link to them too. Every bit helps. As we head toward our 10th anniversary on January 1st, 2019, we have to ask, what in the cosmos do you want to hear about? Let us know by emailing us at info at 365daysofastronomy.org. Thank you. You are listening to the IYA 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Cool.
The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post-production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. Please consider supporting the podcast with a few dollars or euros. Visit us on the web at 365daysofastronomy.org or email us at info at 365daysofastronomy.org. This year we will celebrate the Year of Everyday Astronomers as we embrace amateur astronomer contributions and the importance of citizen science. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye.